March 9th, 2017. This is Hyphenation, the world's greatest podcast. And I'm your host, Kellen Conley. How's everyone feeling out there? How's everybody doing today? Good, good. Because we already want to get into it because it's March 9th. And as some of you may know, it's the 20th anniversary of the death of Christopher Wallace, a.k.a. Notorious B.I.G. Now, I originally had planned on launching the Hyphenation podcast as a blend of Victory Jump Off Radio, which would be music episodes and then episodes of of me talking. So, I guess two years ago... I think. Yeah, because it was before, it was in uh, 2014, 15. I did hyphenation number one under the name of 25 Biggie Commandments. And then I realized I don't want to make hyphenation a music blog. I mean, a a music podcast. I don't want to do that. Hyphenation needs to be talk when I get around to it, which I eventually did in January 2016. So I've rebranded it as Victory Jump Off Radio number 14. 25 Biggie Commandments. Then I realized I only had 21 songs on the mix, so it became the 21 Biggie Commandments. Anyway, long story short, today I reposted uh, Victory Jump Off Radio, now the Hyphen Mixtape Podcast. I reposted it as a... Or what am I trying to say? I reposted episode 14... Because today was the day that Biggie died 20 years ago. All fine and good. No problem. Now, here's where the debate begins. One of my best friends, Jonathan McCumber. Excuse me. One of my best friends, Jonathan McCumber. He is maybe the biggest Tupac fan that I actually know. I know there's several people out there who love, love, love Tupac. One of my coworkers, she actually used to call Toy 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 Pac <laughs> Tupac her boyfriend back in the day because she was so in love with him. Like a lot of girls were after he got out of prison, that little what was it? He got out of prison in late ninety five, early ninety six, and then he was gone by September. A lot of people <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of people became Pac fans at um from not knowing they knew some Pac, but when Pac got out was recording all eyes on me was the most I'd say was when he crossed over the most, whether intentional or unintentional. Jonathan posted on my wall because I had posted that the the goat had it's been twenty years since the goat is has died talking about Biggie because 
there may be moments of weird moments where I feel like Jay-Z is my greatest of all time, but Biggie's still number one for me. It'd be Biggie one and then Jay-Z one B because I don't want to even put him at one A because that's too close to Biggie. And I love Jay-Z. Jay-Z's my favorite rapper of all time. I put Jay against anybody. I put Jay against Biggie, but in the end of the day, I'm going to say Biggie's going to win. Well, Jonathan, the Tupac fans, like, go LOL or something because he's a Pac fan, and I, I know he respects Biggie, but he's going to put Pac over everything. I probably deleted his comment. Petty? Yeah. <laughs> Salty? Yeah. Hater? Yeah. But of all days, not to disrespect them. You can't disrespect them today. In my opinion, at least. I mean, t- today, let's see, he died in the early hours of March 7th, March 9th, 1997. So it's been officially 20 years for since like earliest morning. And you can go back and forth between Biggie and Pac all you want. But Biggie's the GOAT for me. So R.I.P. Biggie. Thank you for all the great music you blessed us with your time here. And God rest your soul and watch over your family. So now that that's out of the way, how how is everybody doing? It is... A late episode. We are live for Victory Jump Off Studios 7.0. I'm recording this purposefully in the studio. Because last weekend, Anthony, Gary, and Thomas and I got together to watch the very disappointing pay-per-view called... uh, It was so disappointing, I can't remember what it was called. Um... Fastlane, there we go. And Thomas had been telling me, like, most recent visits with him, Thomas Crawford. He's like, oh, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts on uh, YouTube. I've been watching Joe Rogan's and listening to this podcast and this podcast. So I said, like, hey, man, why don't you listen to mine? All the hyphenations are on, on YouTube. You could totally check mine out. Why, why don't you do that? And then I asked him, like, hey, did you check out any of my podcast? He's like, no, dude. Because he went back to watching Netflix more. So he's like, I haven't watched any podcast. I listen to any podcast. I've been watching Netflix again. And then the podcast came up later. And Anthony, I mentioned something that uh, Thomas mentioned something about me giving a hard time about not listening to it. And I was like, I know Anthony doesn't listen to it. And I said, no. And I said something along the lines that Anthony does listen to it. He's like, there's too much clicking. You, you don't hold still. I'm like, well, that's my headset mic because I'll be recording in the car because as we discussed before, I feel like I have the best energy in a car versus right now because it's 1047 at night. I've been up since five something. Aaliyah's asleep above me and my mother-in-law is trying to sleep. So while I'm trying to bring it, I'm also trying to not bring it that much, but not to the point where it's like Chance the Rapper. Randy Orton, Cody Rhodes, body slammed through a table. What? <laughs> and we all know it happened. See episode 27? I do this in my sleep. I could be wrong. I think I do this in my sleep. It's 27. 
So I'm trying to bring it, but not bring it. If you know what I'm saying. But he's like, oh, there's too much clicking. And like, you, you, it's too distracting. Day one listeners to the show realized how I was recording a podcast. In the car. With the headset mic. I try my best to get the mic adjusted where it doesn't move. But as I'm talking, my head moves. And what you're hearing is... It's just the creaking of the microphone moving with my head because I'm not, I don't sit here perfectly still. If I did, it'd probably be better, but I'm talking like I'm having a conversation right now. I'm bobbing and weaving, you know what I'm saying? So that's what I do in the car with the headset mic or when I finish the episode with the headset mic here, which I've done recently for continuity reasons. Um, it's like, there's too much clicking. Does the clicking bother anybody else? I'm I'm sure it does, but I mean, I do what I can to kind of keep it to a minimum. I don't feel like it's that distracting, but it's my own podcast, so and I listen to it as I'm doing it. It doesn't sound like it does when the mic picks it up. But at the same time, I understand that I might say a little too much sometimes with uh, the whole, well, not say too much, but it just might be a little much for some people. So this is... A studio episode with no clicking. So, all goes well. This episode will be up by tomorrow. Give Anthony a week or so. Like, hey, did you listen to the latest episode of Hyphenation? I'm like, nah, man, I haven't. You click too much. But, I mean, that that's honest feedback, though. And that's what you want as a podcast. You want everybody to be like, oh, yeah, I totally checked out the podcast. And they didn't. Or, it's a, you're doing a really good job. Like, he's being honest with me, so I, I totally respect that. A lot of stuff's happened. A lot of stuff. The Mountaineers, the WVU women's basketball team, are the Big 12 turning champions. Shout out to the Lady Mountaineers. The men's basketball team just defeated Texas to move on to into the semifinal of the Big 12 tournament versus, I don't even know, I know Baylor and, uh, not TCU, Baylor and another team were playing a basketball game tonight to determine who would face the Mountaineers. Dramatic, dramatic, dramatic. Shout out to that. Um, but seriously, let me get on my sports grind. Show me the Baylor score. Show me the Baylor score. Yes, I'm getting it from Facebook, too. Dang, how are they only in the second quarter? That's not right. I mean, the game started at nine. Second quarter. <laughs> second half. And there's still like 14 minutes left. And right now, Kansas State is, has a narrow edge over Baylor, according to what this says. I don't even know. I need to check this for real. There's no way, guys. Let's check Baylor Bears basketball. Baylor Bears basketball. Baylor Bears ba- ba- basketball. Baylor Bears. Baylor Bears. Here's a song for you to sing. Baylor. Baylor, Baylor, Baylor Bears. The Baylor Bears. Baylor Bears. Why are we posting about... The baseball team, Baylor. Oh, come on, Baylor. This is why you don't get your sports news from Facebook, ladies and gentlemen. 
Uh, let's go to Twitter. That's where I should have went in the first place. Twitter splash screen, Twitter splash screen. Anybody get tired of seeing splash screens now? Because it's like, I want to say it kind of started with Snapchat with the whole yellow screen with the ghost icon. But YouTube's been doing it for a while, and now Twitter does it every single time you hit it. It, it, I find it really annoying, personally. Let's see. Give me a score. Give me a score. Give me a score. Baylor is a toss, too. That's not... Somebody give me a score in this game right now. Dang, three minutes ago, Baylor ties the game at 33 and a jumper in the game. 13.58 to go. Oh, man. Could Kansas State beat Baylor? That could be interesting. I love March. I might have mentioned this last year, but I love March Madness. March Madness makes me so happy. March Madness is beautiful. Oh, I love March Madness. So the Mountaineers won. They're going to face either Kansas State or Baylor. That game's coming down to the wire. I should be podcasting long enough to have a final for you. So who says it's the scores aren't up to date? Now watch me put this out on like Sunday. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Better knock on wood. Oh, wood. Yeah, yeah. Woo, 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 woo. Woo, woo. Woo, 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 woo. Woo. Woo, 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 woo. I'm going to say. <laughs> I just thought of a recommendation, so I'm going to put it on. It's views from the long box. <clears throat> a couple episodes I'm going to recommend of my buddy Michael Bailey's views from the long box podcast. But first topic, we're going to get into it. Ladies, gentlemen, consumers of all ages. Beyonce Knowles is not your spirit animal. <sighs> Bear with me. I think I'm going to, this episode sponsored by water. <clears throat> so Beyonce. Beyonce announced, I guess a month ago now, that she's pregnant with her second but not just one, but third child with Sean Corey Carter, a.k.a. Jay-Z. <clears throat> After this time last year, when Lemonade had came out, and it seemed that she was dragging Jay through the mud for potentially cheating on her, and making this empowering record that women still talk about today. And I can't hate Lemonade is good. I still prefer the self-titled Beyonce album myself, but Lemonade is good. Very good. But, damn, I'm sorry. I got something stuck in my throat. I don't mean to be all clearing in stuff. But people... got so excited about the fact that Beyonce was pregnant that you would have thought it was immaculate. And he, 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 here's the thing. Beyonce is a woman, a normal person, just like you and me, who was gifted with above average, not even that, extraordinary vocal ability. 
that her mother and father curated from a young age and made her into what would later become Beyonce. A star which became a superstar, which is essentially an icon now. I get it, I get it. Now, back to the part where it says Beyonce is a person. People were so excited at her announcement. I'm not going to rag on her about her pregnancy photos or anything like that. Whatever. They, I, I thought they were fine. I'm sure she felt beautiful. And that's what's the most important thing when you get pregnancy photos done is you want to look beautiful. You want to look pregnant and glowing, knowing that you're holding your soon to be outside of your womb child within you. It's a beautiful process. It hurts like a motherfucker, but it's a beautiful process, nonetheless. There were people, because my this happened like, I, can't, I don't even got the timeline, but we're coming off the heels of the, of the things that was going on in Washington with what Trump was doing out there and the Muslim ban and him passing all the executive orders and yada, yada, yada. It was just like bad news on top of bad news. And all of a sudden, Beyonce's pregnant. I saw multiple people get on social media. Man, and today I was so depressed, but now, now Beyonce's pregnant with twins and it's amazing. And yeah, life is great. And like, oh, Beyonce gave me so much life today because she's pregnant. Oh, my God. Nah, 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 nah. Beyonce's pregnant. Oh, I'm so excited. Like, I can't lie. I can't. At the, what was it, 2011 VMAs? Because let's see. 2009 is when Kanye interrupted Taylor. 2010 was Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy when Taylor dissed him on a song there, and then he came and did uh, Runaway for the first time live with the NPC with the all red suit on. It was amazing, and he did kind of answer the right back, and then 2011 was Watch the Throne. Beyonce was singing Love on Top, and at this moment, I wasn't, I mean, I was on top of my stuff back then. So at this moment, I had no clue or I hadn't seen it reported other than rumor sites and even, and I didn't pay attention to them because it's rumors that Beyonce was pregnant. Mind you, this is around the four album. Beyonce was singing love on top. I fell in love with love on top. Love on top is one of my favorite Beyonce songs. Top five, top five, top five. And then when she pulled the shirt back and rubbed her belly, yo, and then yay started congratulating Jay and everything. It's like, yo, Hov and B are pregnant. That's amazing. I was excited. It gave me life at that moment because Jay-Z and Beyonce, who for years hid their relationship from the world, kept it a secret, didn't want anybody to know. For them to not only announce it, but to publicly announce it. To have that moment where it was like they transcended from, because it wasn't even that long ago before they announced it, that they, I mean, obviously they are married. They got married in like 07. So it had been like four years at this point. You knew Jay and Beta were together, but it wasn't 
you didn't really see J and B like that. They just started doing that. And then all of a sudden she's pregnant. And it was this amazing thing, like this superpower couple, this iconic MC and this iconic singer who loved each other for many years and did everything they can to keep a relationship, keep as much details as intimate as possible, announced on MTV the world's biggest music channel, like it or not, whether they stopped playing videos 10 years before, announced that they were having a kid. It was amazing. And then to have Blue Ivy Carter born, and then for Hove to go into the booth on a Neptune's Pharrell Williams beat and give us glory with the first sounds of her making noise. It's amazing. It it still warms. It makes me smile now. But this is 2011. Mind you, in 2011, I was in a way different space. It was six years ago. Now, since then, I've had a kid. I've gotten married. Gotten a stable job. I've, I'm not so caught up in living through vicariously through celebrities I don't even think I did it too bad then but I still had my moments and I still have my moments now I can't lie now the thing that bothers me about this on a bigger level than oh my gosh Beyonce is pregnant and my day is better due to Jay-Z impregnating Beyonce Knowles Carter with his sperm and giving her not one, but two babies. So many of y'all out there, and I know there's people listening to this podcast, I might lose you. So many of y'all always talking. I'm clipping. Let me turn myself down. So many of y'all always talking about Beehive, Beehive, Beyonce this, Beyonce that. Look, I am a fan of Beyonce. I cannot say that I'm not. But Heather started pointing things out to me. Not that long after we met. Just things that Beyonce would do or wouldn't do that rubbed her the wrong way. That as this icon who has who is looked at as a role model for not just women, but for many people in this world, there's things that she was missing. And when I say things, it's just like, I don't know. Like her biggest thing was always like, she tries to act like she's a feminist, but then she doesn't do feminist things. Like not, not saying that she needs to be parading around 24 seven feminist, feminist, feminist. But she has found a couple of her things on her being a feminist hypocritical. That's fine. And I saw it too. But here's the thing that bothers me with Beyonce. Beyonce clearly knows her talent, what she's capable capable of, and she knows her fans. She realizes that she could fart and it could be recorded and put on blogs within five minutes. 
New Heat from Beyonce, Flatulence. NotRight.com. You heard that new. New music cartel, you, you know? Rap Radar. And I get it. But her transition from just wanting to be an artist and do and do artist things to almost trying to become this symbol of hope and well yeah hope like I, I feel like she does things and when she does things she does them for the sole reason of getting attention and getting getting admiration for it I feel like that none of the things that she does comes from an altruistic place. It feels like, I don't know. Hey, look at me. I'm Beyonce. All the time. Case in point. The pregnancy pictures. Whatever, whatever. Like I said, I'm not dissing the outfits. I don't want to diss the outfits or the pictures or anything like that. My sole purpose is how is the photos are released. Sure, she made a big show of it last time, but it was cute. This was her and Jay sharing a moment with the rest of the world at an award show where she showed off she was pregnant for everyone, and it was awesome. But we've been there, done that. Could she have quietly just put out a press release that she was expecting twins? Sure. And she kind of did, except it had to be the grandiose baby picture she came with. Like, I am Beyonce. I'm not just having me and Jay's twins. I'm having the world's twins. The Grammys, whatever the hell her performance was, like so many people, Beyonce's, oh, it was so beautiful, her performance, so beautiful. it said so much. What? It showed that she was super pregnant and she decided to still do the show. Admirable, yes. But, but, why, what did she do in that performance that was so amazing? Am I missing the point here is what I don't get. Is there a point where somebody, is there a switch that I need to turn on? Is there something that says all things are Beyonce is good? You already know I wasn't riding with her on any of the stuff she said about Jay, true or not, on Lemonade. Why in the world would I sit here and be like, oh, it was so beautiful what she did at the Grammys. Ooh, oh, I teared up. It was and some people get that emotional. If Hove had a surprise a per, a performance at the Grammys, I would have gotten hyped up and maybe teared up because I haven't because Hove hasn't put out any new music in almost four years. If he came out and did a new song at the Grammys out of nowhere, I might tear up. But that's because I love Jay Z's music. That's not because Jay Z is a representation of how happy I am every single day. That's just me. I don't know. 
So, I'm sorry, Behav. I'm sorry if you're a Beyonce fan or if you're a listener right now, Marcus, who might be like, oh my God, Beyonce. Beyonce is going to get you. I smite you with Beyonce. It's, it's just like, look, B. It, uh, let me cap it with this. All the crazy shit that Kanye does that pisses me off and that made me want to damn near disown him several times over the years, including on this podcast. The thing with Ye that I always have to do, and it's so hard because he does such dumb shit, especially before he went into, he got institutionalized. He went, he got institutionalized. Oh my goodness. Institute, institutionalized. Um, the thing that bothers me is like, it's so hard to do is you have to separate the music away from his antics. So I had like the life of Pablo is not a great album. Kanye's not even on the life of Pablo like that. It's another, it's basically cruel summer too, in a way. Cruel early spring, <laughs> cruel late winter. He's on it, but it doesn't feel like a Kanye project because there's so much other stuff going on with it. But I know I enjoy his music. I know I that I respect that talent enough to be able to set aside the other dumb stuff he does. And I have to do the same thing with Beyonce. It took me months to get Lemonade played through because I was so mad that instead of Lemonade being about hey, look, here's my new album, y'all, like Beyonce was, and she's like, I shot all these videos, here you go. Beyonce came from a very artistic, controlled angle. Surprise drop, videos for every song, and it was phenomenal. Lemonade was kind of a surprise drop because you knew that she had the video going on, but then it also felt like, I'm Beyonce, here's a video representation of the album. By the way, she might as well just said, Drop the beginning of Ether. Fuck Jay-Z. Sup, niggas? <laughs> I'm just saying. That's what it felt like. To me. Hey, look at me. I'm Beyonce. I'm dissing my husband. By the way, he's kissing my feet at the end of this movie. Which I still haven't watched. Long live hove. <sighs> I just... It'd be different if people appreciate it wasn't just like... If it was purely on, like, say, Frank Ocean, if people were like, Frank Ocean's giving me life. Well, Frank Ocean doesn't do anything public, so you know it's music-based. Beyonce's giving me life because she walked outside today and had a coffee in her hand, and somebody took her picture. Oh, did you see her shoes and how pregnant she is? She is such a representation of black beauty and women empowerment because she's pregnant with twins. Not to take away the fact that being pregnant is something I can never do and one of the most beautiful processes that that you'll ever behold in anyone in any lifetime that pregnancy is a beautiful thing regardless well not always regardless but pregnancy is beautiful but I don't understand how 30 something Beyonce like 30 31 something Beyonce who's pregnant with twins who decided to go out and get some Starbucks somebody took a picture I don't understand how that picture translate to 24 year old i don't know iowa girl uh working at a, a dairy castle dairy queen 
She's like, oh man, Beyonce's picture's giving me so much life. I'm so inspired by her getting coffee and being pregnant. I, I don't get it. I don't. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Sorry, not sorry. But to piggyback off of that, to give her her props, I don't think Adele should have won. I don't think she should have won Album of the Year. And Adele can be as Adele-like as she wants to be in that moment. Like, I don't understand why Beyonce... I don't. I can't do it accent i don't understand why beyonce didn't win like i don't what does she have to do and lemonade is important to me and all my black friends and can you turn down an award because it felt like she wanted to turn down but did she she damn sure took all the pictures with that damn grammy later didn't she i'm sure they might have already sent her her grammy and grave saying adele 25 album of the year Beyonce should have won. Lemonade. While I was not wowed by it or floored by it, lots of people were. And musically, that's what the Grammy should be about. Sure, Adele sold massive numbers. 25 is a solid project because Adele doesn't make shit. She makes dope music. But the main thing is I, I feel like the, the Grammys forgot to realize how important Lemonade was to the conversation versus 25. Yeah, it's Adele. Everybody loves Adele. And a lot of people love 25, even though if I had to hear Send My Love to Your New Lover one more time on VAQ, I was going to lose it this summer. Lemonade was in a conversation from the moment it dropped until it's still in a conversation. And my uh, friend Megan, Nikki, who was on episode 25, her best friend and family friend, Megan Hyatt, whoops, Megan Henry. I think I did that before an episode. She had posted how when Adele's album came out, that's all she listened to and she loved it. But as soon as Lemonade dropped, her and all her friends listen to Lemonade and continue to listen to Lemonade up to the point, this point. Is it the racism still alive? They just be concealing an argument? Maybe. I mean, we're still talking about, what was it? I feel like it was 94, 94, 2004, when, um, or 2005, when late registration was up for album of the year. And I think, Genius Loves Company by Ray Charles, a posthumous, a posthumous, posthumous. Well, oh my gosh, I can't talk. Posthumous, posthumous, posthumous. <laughs> a post-death album by Ray Charles. <laughs> posthumous album by Ray Charles. Won the Grammy over late registration. While I've always said late registration is college dropout on a way bigger budget and way more stereos, stereos, steroids. Late registration should have won album of the year. And the same can be said for any of the times out Kanye's been up. I'm not going to look it up. I'm not going to be a bad podcaster and be like, let's look and see when, when, uh, my beautiful dark fantasy was nominated, what he lost to. I'm pretty sure my beautiful dark, no, or my beautiful dark nomination. Uh, 
Oh, well, who was it? I'm not going to look it up, but uh, that band and... Okay. Uh, computer? No. <laughs> um, mm, it's on the tip of my tongue. That I just remember that that one group won the Grammy and no one had heard of them other than indie radio, which I was doing at the time. And everybody's losing their mind. I don't know if that, if my beautiful dark requested fancy lost to that, but I just don't understand the ways of the world today. Sometimes I feel like there's nothing to live for. So I'm praying for the days of yesterday. Shout out to TLC and outcast night to 94 crazy, sexy, cool. But seriously, I, I don't, know if it's the voters or what but i bumped the microphone anthony i'm sorry but i i I don't know if it's like all right all right all right gentlemen ladies let's vote for album of the year okay let's do that okay and i i I have not listened to 25 but i can tell you that 25 is probably not better than lemonade lemonade was probably more experimental it was more from a, a more personal place. Maybe they thought because Adele took so long that it was crafted with more care. I I don't know. I don't want to think that they were like, hmm, well, Beyonce's black and Adele's white. Let's go ahead and go that way because we're all mostly, I don't even know who votes on these things. I don't get it. Maybe it is a bunch of white people and they're voting and they're like, well, we're not going to vote for Beyonce. We're going to vote for Adele because Beyonce's married to a rapper and Adele is a, uh, what? I can't remember if she's with her baby father or not. A single mom trying to, who's still making phenomenal music and wants to, but her main priority is being a mom. You think Beyonce doesn't want to be a mom? I don't, I don't know. See, this is the problem with Beyonce. Here I am defending her music. After I just trashed y'all for saying, oh, Beyonce gave me life. Her and her twins. Oh, my gosh. Blue Ivy. I want to hang out with Blue Ivy so bad. Shut up. Shut up. And I think Adele's speech that made Beyonce cry and Jay was clapping because they both obviously were shocked that she was saying this. Because this is album of the year. I don't know how it works with award shows, whether they tell them or not. Obviously, from the grand, the Oscar fiasco, that's not the case. Which we might am I going to talk about that a little bit? Uh, I don't know. I'm probably not going to talk about that part. But the thing is, J and B were both shocked when Adele started saying this. But. For me, bottom line, Adele's like, I don't deserve this record, and blah, 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 and all my friends love Beyonce's record, and this is not fair. I feel like she, while she couldn't have handed it directly to Beyonce, I feel like she could have, because she said, I can't accept this award, is how she started, but something to look into. Could she have refused the award? Like, literally got up there and said, I'm not accepting this. I feel like Lemonade was a better album, and thank you very much, and hand it back to presenter and walk off stage? Sure. Because then what do you do? Is there a backup plan in place? Like, oh my God, Adele just turned us down. Who got the second most votes? And then it probably wouldn't have been Beyonce again. 
Views by Drake. Oh my god. Views won best best album over Lemonade. Oh god. And Drake didn't even show up. And Views won. Wow. That would have been had to call him on his cell phone. Literally. And I'm just going to keep tying this into the next topic, which I'm kind of bouncing around, but it it all fits. Is the whole Moonlight and Denzel debacle. Obviously, at Moonlight now, we realize that Warren Beatty was given the wrong envelope. He had to back up Best Actress envelope that the person who's supposed to be checking these things was tweeting because he took a photo of Emma Stone with her Oscar when he was supposed to be making sure Warren Beatty had the right envelope. Warren Beatty opened it, realized something was wrong, showed it to Faye Dunaway. Faye Dunaway's like, la la land. And then we got the ending of the Oscars. But of course, Moonlight won, which is huge. A black cast. The f- it was about a predominant, about a gay man. Haven't seen it yet, but I know my. I've heard. I've read a lot about this topic now. About cat, black cast, black directors, black, black film, and it wasn't about slavery, and it won best picture, which is a great moment, and it got ruined because of a wrong envelope. More was made out of the fact that La La Land had to give the Oscars back to Moonlight over the fact that Moonlight won which is still bullshit the Academy still Oscars so white I feel like there is an undue bias in Hollywood I'm sorry no I'm not sorry sorry not sorry for one second cause you know what when inspiration strikes you gotta Take it. Sorry, not sorry. Episode 32. Ha <laughs> ha. Chia. Um, Viola Davis. Ah, oh, what a beautiful woman. Congratulations to Viola. Many said that if she had submitted under Best Actress, she would have beaten Emma Stone for that. But she submitted for Best Supporting. Easy one for her. While the Moonlight thing was awesome because the way it went down, but it did steal their thunder and Viola Davis winning was awesome. I, uh, dude, Denzel losing best, best actor to Casey Affleck. I get that Casey won the Golden Globe and I don't know. I know there's a precedent for if you want to go in Globe, you're probably going to Oscar unless you're, hmm, let's see. We'll talk about that in one second. Mommy, Eddie Murphy. You win the Golden Globe. And then you win the Oscar normally. Ryan. Oh, it's not coming to me. Ryan Gosling won the Golden Globe for La La Land. But he didn't win, I want to say Screen Actors Guild Award. There was awards a couple of award shows bef- between the go- the Globes and the Oscars. And Denzel was winning. Oh, shout out to my, my dude from Moonlight too. 
Oh, I wish I could say your name, but he's also one of the main bad guys in Luke Cage. Shout out to him, man. Black excellence. Hashtag black excellence. Uh, it just, and then like all the buzz leading up to the Oscars was how great Denzel was in Hidden Fences. <laughs> Fences. How you didn't, like it was one of those roles which Denzel's want to do where he will fall into a role and you will see the character versus Denzel. Everybody said Denzel played the role of his, one of the best roles of his career, like top five, top five, top five, easily. And the look on his face when they announced Casey Affleck, Manchester by the Sea. And as much as I'm an Affleck supporter, Ben Affleck supporter, to see him stand up and clapping and Denzel's face knowing that he didn't win, probably because he was black. But yet, in Training Day, he he did win. But you know, but he was a villain. He was a bad guy, through and through, from the streets, a bad cop. Oh, let's give the black guy for uh, props for playing a bad cop. But let's not give give him props for playing a good role. No, one of the best roles he's ever had in his career. This late in the game in his career and still making pure platinum diamond encrusted silk out of string. Like Denzel Washington is a gift to us all. And he's going to be gone one day and everybody be like, oh man, we messed up. We should have given Denzel Grammy, huh? Or Oscar, huh? Yeah, you should have. Back to my Eddie Murphy point. So, uh, I don't remember what it was. 2008, the Dreamgirls thing. Eddie, of course. And I love Dreamgirls. Dreamgirls is one of my favorite musicals ever. And I'm a big fan of the film adaptation, which ironically has Beyonce in it. But Beyonce's my least favorite girl from the dreams. But she does she does a good job. But I'm, I do like Jennifer Hudson's storyline, obviously better. Who did win uh, Best Supporting Actress that year for that role, and then also like uh, uh I want to say her name is Noni, the same chick that sings Tiana's part in The Princess and the Frog, uh, who played James Thunder Early's girlfriend, mistress, in the film. Eddie Murphy got to play. James Early or James Thunder Early, who was pretty much the James Brown of the film, and he killed it start to finish. He was he was the black act who got a hit with the Cadillac car thing, and then the the then uh, the white people came and got Cadillac car, made it into a pop song, and then. He kind of faded back as the dreams got bigger and then he wanted to do different things and kind of change direction. Like he was a James Brown, Marvin Gaye hybrid in the seventies and he had a real bad drug problem. I mean, of course, Jamie Foxx's character did everything in his power to stop him from 
because he wanted him to be a ballad singer, kind of make him more like a, I don't want to say a Luther. Um, trying to think of a, a ballad singer, an Al Green, an Al Green kind of figure. That's what he was wanting. And then James wanted to, or Jimmy Thunder early, shit. <laughs> Wanted, he wanted to bring the funk all the time. Bring the funk, bring the soul. And he couldn't do it. He wasn't allowed to because Jamie Foxx is always focused on the dreams. Long story short, he killed the film. He was amazing in the film. One of the main reasons I love Dream Girls so much is Eddie Murphy's role. It's the best role Eddie Murphy ever played in any film. Hands down. You can be like, oh, what about coming in America? Or what about Nutty Professor? No, yeah, those are great comedy roles. This is the best role he's ever had. Plus, he got to sing. And Eddie can sing. You can hate on Party All the Time you want, or that album he did in 1990 that had that awful Michael Jackson's collab on it. But Eddie can sing. Eddie's dope. With that said, he won the Golden Globe for Best Actor. Best Supporting Actor. He was a front runner, front runner, front runner to win the Oscar that year. Now, a lot of people will say that his awful, one of his awful Eddie Murphy films, Norbit, came out where he was playing a geeky guy who falls in love with this obese woman played by him. I never watched it. That's all I'm giving y'all. It came out between the Globes and the Oscars, and a lot of people said that Norbit was so bad they reconsidered giving Eddie the votes that he needed to get best Oscar, best supporting actor at the Oscars. But again, I think it's, it comes down to the black thing. I don't remember who won it. And I don't care how bad Norbit was. Eddie Murphy deserved that award that year. And they probably gave it to somebody who didn't even deserve it. Just saying. So Oscar's still so white. Denzel should have won. Beyonce should have won. Eddie Murphy should have won. Kudos to Moonlight, though. We did get that, whether it took us a little bit once that dude stopped tweeting when he wasn't supposed to be on his phone. Tweeting Emma Stone pics. Shout out to Emma Stone, though. What up, girl? What up, doe? What up, doe? Yeah. All right, so. Dang, we we just kind of rolling. We're doing good. I don't know if I want to get into this topic because it's something I thought of. I wanted to compare. No, you know what? We're going to do this. We gonna, This is hyphenation. This, this is what we do. And I already talked about two titans of rap music that are no longer with us. Biggie and Tupac, we get into the episode. I'm going to talk about two titans of another industry that are no longer with us performing-wise. And a difference between them ladies apologies in advance but I'm going to try to keep this as clean as possible and as without getting too raunchy with it but I got to talk about the two biggest porn stars that since I've been alive and I've been alive 34 years at this point which would be Jenna Jameson and Sasha Gray now I don't know what spurred me to have this debate or why I had this topic, but let me break it down for you. In the 90s, 
I don't have backstory. I kind of know a little bit. But anyway, in the 90s, like say circa eh, 94, 95, Jenna Jameson slowly became the biggest porn star in the world. Jenna was in everything. She had crossover appeal. Like in 97, she ended up being in uh, Howard Stern's Private Parts movie, um, which is big for her. She was the biggest name in porn. Like no matter where you went, like, your film had Jenna Jameson in it. Your film was going to do numbers. Not that porn had any problem doing numbers because it's porn. But the thing is, like, Jenna had everything that was your prototypical male, white male fantasy in the 90s. She had the, the hue, she had the larger chest, the larger fake chest. She was blonde. She was leggy. She had a foul mouth she did almost everything on camera that you would want in a porn star um she didn't i mean she had charisma she was funny she was gorgeous with her clothes off she was gorgeous with her clothes on she had chemistry with everybody on screen she was doing tons of movies a year she just got bigger and bigger and was like probably one of the first porn stars to literally cross over into uh, the mainstream as a thing. Which is awesome for her. Now, as the 2000s came, her career started running down. She became like, went to club, made the club Jenna thing. She started directing. Um, it became less about um, I mean, she's, I retire, I'm back, I'm retired. She dated, uh, Tito, uh, she might've been married at one point, but I, I know she definitely was with Tito Ortiz. Uh, she claimed that he beat her. Um, not as bad as War Machine did Christy Mack, um, a few years back, but claimed that he was crazy and he beat her. And then, and then of course she starts picking fights of people. And I think she might be one of those, I don't know if she has kids or not, but they're, uh, then just like, oh, my, my childhood was bad and this is why this is this way and why I did this. And pretty much she had all this plastic surgery when she was, like I said, the ideal white male's fantasy in the 90s. And then all of a sudden she just keeps, won't leave herself alone. Can't leave well enough alone. Becomes uh, what she is today. But at one point there was like, Jenna was so big that there was no way in the world that there would ever be another porn star who was as big as her. Now, 2008 shows up. This little video comes out from one of my favorite rap groups called The Roots, called Birthday Girl. And in it, there is a, a petite white girl with a, a way bigger booty than expected who has dark hair and if you look at her normal and she's not smiling it's like oh she's kind of like a goth, a goth chick and you know she looks kind of stoned or whatever but when she smiles she has this magnetic smile and you look at her and it's like man she's so cute and and she's she's and she she just seems so cool and like man like I feel like I can get with her and like 
I feel like she appealed to not just white males, but I, like she uh, appealed to men across the board. And she did scenes with all kinds of men. Jenna never did a scene with a black guy that I know of that I've ever seen. Now, you look at Sasha and Sasha's like does everything. She goes top to bottom. She does there's nothing that Sasha hasn't done. She had a scene with a man dressed in a bear suit. And while you may think, man, that sounds funny. It's only funny for a little bit because she does work. Sasha, just like Jenna, was 150% into her work. Loved her job. For years and years and years. Did her job unflinchingly. Now, unlike Jenna, where. Jenna was this prototypical white male fantasy. Sasha was more of the chill. Like she was more of a 2000s kind of girl, except. And she downplayed like her looks was like more natural. There's nothing on Sasha that you look at and says that's fake. You look at Jenna and be like, she looks like she was made by the porn industry. Sasha looked like she came into the porn industry with a natural look and then put her own spin on that shit and took it over. Like, no kidding. Sasha got cast in The Girlfriend Experiment, which is a mainstream movie that did numbers and was out in theaters. I've never seen it. I want to see it. But that's huge. Like, Jenna Jameson did a small bit part in the Howard Stern movie. Sasha's getting cast in shit. Sasha does art. Sasha's a DJ. Sasha was on Entourage, one of the biggest, while I do like Entourage, it was definitely a show for frat boys, that kind of crowd. That's the kind of crowd that Entourage drew, which is fine. She was on a season of that as that Adrian Grenier's girlfriend, Vince's girlfriend. Also, I am not, shout out, here, I'm going to put my flag up right now. I can't stand Vince and I can't stand Adrian Grenier. I think he's terrible. I caught the end of uh, Devil Wears Prada the other night. And it's when Andy goes to see him after getting back, leaving Miranda in Paris. And I just think he's terrible. I've never liked anything. I hated Vince and I don't like Adrian Grenier. It is what it is. He was a- She was Adrian Grenier's girlfriend as herself in one of the later seasons of Entourage. And then one day Sasha says... All right, guys, well, I'm out. I'm going to stop doing porn. Um, It's been real, and I love all y'all, but I'm going to go do other stuff. And it wasn't a typical porn star retirement where it's like, all right, I'm out, and then it's like, you trash porn. Like, I found God, and I felt bad about myself for all that stuff that I did, and it's like, I need money. Let me come back. And it's like, I'm out again, and drugs was the reason I did it and everything. No, Sasha's like, that's part of my life, and it's over, and I'm going to go do this now. So, what are the comparisons? There's not really comparison. If we're going pound for pound, Jenna Jameson versus Sasha Gray, I'm taking Sasha Gray every time. You can say whatever you want about Jenna, about what she was able to do, about what she did on DVD, and what award she won, and who knew what her name was in 1998, Versus who knew who Sasha Gray's name was in 2010? Hell, Sasha may not have reached Jenna's reach, though. 
Because if I say Sasha Gray to Angel, she probably doesn't know who that is. Jenna Jameson, she knows who Jenna Jameson is. So she didn't quite have the reach. But pound for pound, I'm, I'm taking Sasha. And I just feel like I had to say that for some reason. So in this battle of two tight Titanic porn star titans, in as nice a way possible, Sasha Gray wins out over Jenna Jameson. You're welcome. Sorry, not sorry. Next topic. <laughs> oh, man, this show's good. I like this show a lot so far. Uh, that's more of a recommendation. I uh, The rest of these are all kind of recommendations, so let me just kind of run down them real quick and uh, explain what I was thinking with all these. I uh, I like to watch hardwood classics on NBA TV. I always try to catch like the 90s games that I remember seeing or the early 2000s games that I remember seeing. Um, like in the 2001 NBA All-Star game was on. That was when Iverson won the MVP. Um, but it was also when, I think this still stands, when the East came back from like a huge deficit in the fourth quarter. And they won it in regulation behind Iverson and a surprisingly effective Stephon Marbury and Vince Carter. And the East squad came back on a West squad that was only lacking a hurt Shaquille O'Neal at the time. I don't even know if Shaq was hurt. I think he just sat out All-Star just for rest purposes. And... The 2001 All-Star Game is phenomenal because the thing I loved about watching it, because this is the year before Michael, um, well, uh, Michael came back when? 2002, 2003. So Michael had came back uh, the the year after. He came back in 2001, 2002, and then finished up 2002, 2003. So this is like the year that Iverson stepped over Lou in the finals. This is when Iverson won MVP. This is when I was an Iverson fan from jump. When he got in the league, I was a fan. I was in love with Iverson from Georgetown, but just watching uh, how uh, they all watching all these players play together, and especially compared to this year's All Star Game, where they didn't do shit and then play no defense and scores like one ninety eight to one ninety seven, and it was just awful. Like from the jump, I, 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 I pumped myself up from watching the 2001 all-star game. I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to watch the all-star game this year. And I, I'm like, I think I'm gonna get into it. And I didn't get into it. Like they were just didn't play any defense, but the two the, watching 2001 NBA all-star game was fun because you got to see a lot of old stars and you got to see them in their proms and they were going, they were going at it, man. It was a competitive game at the end. So look up the 2001 NBA all-star game. First recommendation. Second recommendation is Timeless. I know I mentioned this in a recent show already. Timeless is a time-traveling show where there are two time machines. The bad guy stole the first one, so the good guys have the backup, and they're chasing him through history as he's trying to manipulate history for his own means. It just finished its first season, and hopefully it's not its last season. I highly, 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 <laughs> encourage you to check out Timeless. You know how I feel about time traveling stuff anyway, unless it's the time traveler's wife, which is awful. As much as I love Rachel McAdams, it was awful. Um, it's, 
I had worried about it before turning into more of a, a rom com thing with the main character Abigail Spencer or main actress Abigail Spencer and her one of the uh like the the muscle so to speak he's a military guy that goes on a mission. I thought there'd be like this love thing and they focus more on the love thing versus the missions. But I got Angel into it and she loves it and the season wrapped up and it was super dope. So please, please, please check out Tomless. And uh, I mean, I know it's not much, man, but um, if you just want to get up, just pass the word along because uh, the more people who uh, watch the show and because I think the whole thing is still on demand right now more people that watch the show and then spread the word and then get on social media and just hit that hashtag, whether it just be with timeless or renew timeless, it gives NBC more reason to renew the show. And I think they're actually about to, the creators of the show are going to be speaking with the higher ups soon about whether season two is happening. And if it doesn't happen to NBC, I hope that we get a happy ending where at least we get a season two elsewhere. Not always a guarantee, but please check out timeless. Um, I checked out the Tribe Called Quest, well, the end of the Tribe Called Quest documentary, Beats, Rhymes, and Life, something I've been wanting to see for a while. And it was, uh, I found it very interesting because obviously Tribes had their issues over the years, one of the reasons why they didn't have an album, um, after, why they did break up after the Love Movement um, in 1990s. Love Movement. Was that 98? Love movie was 1998. One of the reasons they did break up was just because of the internal strife, mostly between Fife and Tip. And I'm not sure. I don't know my tribe history. I will. Kobe and Ali as well. Um, and why they kind of all went their separate ways. But I caught the end, and it was when they came back for Rock the Bells in like 20, I don't know, 2008, 2009, and Fife and Tip were at each other's throats over some some real bullshit and Fife was mad sick and just how they had um they broke apart again after their initial rock the bells and they were fighting over some something dumb because Fife was sick and he took something the wrong way but you know I I, I feel like he took it the wrong way the way it's portrayed in the movie but you know what if I was in Fife's shoes I might have felt the same way because he was mad at something about how Tip was rapping next to him saying that how Fife wasn't moving, but Fife was doing limited moving because he was literally sick as a dog during the show. And he felt, and Fife took it personally. And then he already chose his throats to rest the Rock the Bells tour. But it was interesting to see them break up and then not talk for a while. And then Fife um, got his transplant from his wife. Um, and then he's starting to get healthy again. And then they got these shows in overseas and they start get they get they get back together and then tip calls uh fife the day of the transplant and they get back together things are cool and then seeing the end of the film is like showing them coming back together and going out on tour in like early 2010 and stuff and i realized that 2010 tribe stuff they were showing went into their 2010 run at rock the bells where me and shiv saw them at a Oh, what is it called? Uh, the oh wow, where is it called? It's a uh, it's in Maryland, but it was called a DC show. Oh my goodness, twenty ten Rock the Bells in DC. I, me and Shiv's Hall Tribe, and I may have said this on here. I know I definitely we have definitely a whole uh, we have a whole hip hop manifesto episode about Rock the Bells. It's on my site b dot com. Just search Rock the Bells and you'll find it. We'll do a whole review of the show. Tribe tore it 
down. Busta showed up, and it was amazing. Watching a Tribe Called Quest live may have been the best performance I ever saw in my life. And my only regret is that I will not be able... My only, well, you know, I don't regret the fact that it was 2010 and I only had my BlackBerry and I wasn't trying to record everything. I still see them plain as day killing Midnight Marauders start to finish. And I'll never forget that. R.I.P. Fife, go listen to their new album and check out Beats, Rhymes, and Life. Directed by Michael Rappaport. Oh, I did put Beats Robin's Life down. Uh, I did kind of hit both topics. Yay me. Uh, if you're into Bob Odenkirk, if you don't know Bob Odenkirk, he is from the Mr. Oh my gosh. Mr. Show? Mr. Show? Oh my gosh. I think it's Mr. Show. I never watched it. Bob Odenkirk played Saul Goodman on Breaking Bad, which subsequently got its own spinoff. Better Call Saul. Season one is on Netflix now. Season two will be on Netflix within the next couple weeks. And then season three premieres on April 10th on AMC. I was listening to the Better Call Saul Insider podcast. And at one point, Odenkirk had mentioned he was doing this movie called Girlfriend's Day. And I was like, oh, well, if I ever get a chance, I'll, I'll check it out. Ironically enough, Girlfriend's Day was a Netflix movie. And it went up on Valentine's Day. So I got to check that out a few Fridays ago. It's only about an hour long. And it's a quirky, dark comedy, and it's great. Even if you're not into Bob Odenkirk, check this out. It's an hour. You'll laugh. It's got some recognizable people in it. It's got plot twist. It's got a little action. But it's fun. It's called Girlfriend's Day on Netflix. Check that out. And then last but not least, Views from the Long Box by Michael Bailey. I've mentioned it before in the podcast. I'm a longtime listener and fan of Michael's show. Um, Michael knows how I feel about him. One day we'll get together, actually, podcast. But he has these two phenomenal episodes um, that I'd listen to back to back because he got with um, Andy Andy Leyland. Um, I can't remember. Hey, Kids Comics is a podcast that Andy Leyland's on, Andrew Leyland. Uh, Leyland underscore Andrew on Twitter and Michael is uh, Bailey's at Bailey's podcast on Twitter. They did a commentary for Spider-Man three and it's while it's as long as the film is, it's good. It's real good because you don't sit there and be like, like it's not your typical commentary. Cause one thing about commentary is like if they, if you want to hear a regular commentary, you listen to it on a DVD. That's what it's there for. But when you sit down and listen to a fan commentary, you want to be entertained throughout and they bring it the whole time while still being informative at the same time. So views from the long box, the Spider-Man three commentary. And he also has a Marvel versus DC episode of the 1995 Marvel versus DC company crossover that they did starring uh, Donovan. uh, Oh my gosh. Donovan, Donovan, (laughs) Donovan Morgan Grant, which I know is wrong. So podcasting one-on-one in full effect. I need to check this out. Donovan, no, Donovan Morgan Grant. Did I say that right? Or I say Donovan Grant Morgan. He has a DC versus Marvel show with Donovan Morgan Grant. That's 
awesome. And it covers the whole four issue miniseries, a little bit of the amalgam stuff, um, amalgam stuff. You can check that out too. And that's also lots of fun because as ridiculous as Marvel versus DC may seem to a lot of people now, what, 22 late years later, um, 21 years later, however long it's been, I think it came in 96. Actually, I recall being thrilled with it when it was coming out and they had that same enthusiasm for today as they did when they first read it back in 1996. So check out the Marvel vs. DC or the DC vs. Marvel episode of Views from the Long Box. <sighs> well, you ain't got to go home. <laughs> Man. Ooh, water. What a show. We went we went had a little bit of everything, didn't we? Ah, that's that's how you do an episode of Nation. That's how you bring the thirty two third episode uh, that's how you bring the heat to the thirty second episode of Hyphenation, ladies and gentlemen. In my opinion. That's how it's done. That's how it's done. You know? A little bit of this, a little bit of that, and that's how it's done. If you want to check out more of Hyphenation, you can go to be dot com. Wait for the redirect, so it'll take you to Medium. After that, there's a little link that says Hyphenation. All 32 episodes are right in there. Hyphenation right there. If you go to the Podcast Central link, you'll see Hyphenation at the top. You'll see the iTunes link. That way you can rate, review, subscribe, and share Hyphenation. You can rate us on rate us on iTunes and review, which will spread it out to more people. So you see how awesome the world's greatest podcast is. You can also subscribe and never miss an episode. And then please share it with all your friends and let them know how dope Hyphenation is. I appreciate it. You can also see, well, actually listen to Hyphenation on Stitcher. All you got to do is type Hyphenation on your phone, on the Stitcher app, or in the browser, whether that be on your computer or on your phone. You can also go to Google Play and then Type in hyphenation and voila, you have 32 episodes of fire right there. All for you. Chill. Also on that podcast central page, you'll see the feed burner link. That's the RSS feed for the show. Put that into your favorite podcast listening device and you have all the episodes at the tip of your fingers that you'll use on your podcast listening device. Okay. Okay, buttercup. So. B-H-Y-P-H-E-N at Gmail is the email if you want to contact me. Also on Twitter at B-Hyphen. Facebook page is facebook.com slash resilient redundancies. And the title is the resilient redundancies of Kellen Conley. Because I post a lot of the same stuff, but I'm resilient and it's me. <laughs> um, Yeah. And, and that's it. That's episode 32, guys. Um, thank you so much. As always, you've been a great crowd. Episode 30, what, I think 35. Mike, Mike's going to come on. Uncensored Mike. He hadn't said anything. Like, I, I, he said on the question show, episode 30, I'm like, yo, Mike. He's like, yo, when, when can I get on the show? I'm like, let's do 35. Episode 36 looks like it's going to be an episode with Eric Greenlee. He will be coming back for the third time. Because he wants to talk about more Disney stuff. 
We didn't really get into it the first two times, but I have an episode. It's episode seven called Welcome to the Disney Movie Review Podcast, because obviously with Aaliyah, I watch a lot of Disney films. And so it's only right that I kind of give you my critiques of it. And Eric also has now two beautiful daughters and he watches a lot of Disney films. So he wants to talk about a couple theories, including Little Mermaid, which I can't stand Little Mermaid, but I'm willing to get into it with him. So I think Eric's going to be on 36. So that's exciting. And uh, yeah, that's it. Um, I'm going to go upstairs and uh, I'm going to watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend because season two is on Netflix. Shout out to Rachel Bloom and that whole amazing cast and crew of the show. Um, And then hopefully you'll be hearing this sooner than later. So without further ado, thanks y'all. <laughs>